You're listening to Men With Spirit. Join us as we explore what it means to be a modern man and live a spirited life. G'day and welcome to episode 44 of Men With Spirit at Radio Karam. If you're new to the show, our aim is to explore topics, ideas and knowledge to help you become more authentically connected with yourself and others. And integral to this is to live your life according to your values. This show is an extension of the work we do with our Men With Spirit weekly men's groups. My name's Peter Anthony, and I'm here with my co-host, Steve Angel. Steve, how are you today? How are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling great. Yeah, feeling good. I've been on a great high, actually, for the I last know. few weeks, haven't I? You have, which is great. Yeah, I had some great healing done a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, some Hanuman healing, which we need to talk more of on this Abs- show. Absolutely, we yes. will do that. As a practitioner, Peter. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I think that would be an excellent subject, yeah. right? Yeah. And no. we, had a, we had a really good night last night, didn't we? We did. had a great um, group session yesterday with our men. Um, really robust conversation around values. Mm-hmm. That really was really quite strong. And um, also back to parenting again. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, out of that, there was a desire to, um, uh, well, the offer was made to get Marguerite along to yes. our next men's group mm. meeting to talk about uh, parenting. I wonder how all the boys will feel about having a female in well, our it'll group. Be the first time we've had a female <laughs> But uh, looking forward to that. We've only just, uh, I spoke to Marguerite this morning, so she's agreed to come along. So that should be really great next week. Um, what about you, yeah. Peter? How have you been since I'm I feeling we were here last? I've had a range of emotions, actually. I, I've mentioned previously that um, I uh, moved or was moving uh, into a new abode, and I'm very, very grateful for that. That's worked out extremely well. And um, But I'm still in unpacking mode, which is stressful in itself. I think you, any, anyone that's moved <laughs> knows what's involved in uh, Every month later, and you'll be looking around the corner of the room, there's still another box that you haven't unpacked. Oh, yeah. And then you realise you don't really need that stuff well, anyway. the amount of... The amount of crap you accumulate over the years and you think you get rid of it and there's another box and you think, what's in there? Think, oh, this has mm. got to go. Just decluttering your life, both uh, physically and uh, mentally and emotionally, I think is important. Uh, talking about last night, we started talking about values and one of the things that was the catalyst for that was um, the uh, whole debacle or the expose around Coopers and... Uh, uh, what can only be called an absolute betrayal of um, uh, trust in, in the Australian people and the Australian government, but all of us, really. And uh, I have to say, personally, it didn't surprise me, but um, I found it just a complete affront to my values, mm-hmm. uh, honesty and integrity, uh, accountability, equality, you name it. And, you know, there's got to be consequences. There's got to be accountability for what's happened there. And uh, so it made me, so when I say I got a range of emotions, it made me really <laughs> you were so fired up. I, I, talking about being annoyed, it, it was virgin on anger that, that yeah. what they'd done to us collectively. Um, so when you put, you know, it's about putting values into practice. And when you see such an, a betrayal of basic uh, values, um, yeah, it did, did make me annoyed. It got me <laughs> fired up. Anyhow, yes. that's not the topic of a discussion. Move on with our show. We um, could explore that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, today, Steve, we're going to uh, keeping it uh, in-house, so to speak. So mm. we, we've been uh, joined by another Radio Karam presenter. 
Yeah, we are. So today we have Rowan Parent. He's, he's a health and well-being specialist, speaking fellow radio podcast host here on Radio Karen. You can hear him on Thursdays at 5pm on his show titled The Rowan Parent Method. Today we are going to turn the tables and interview you, Rowan, and find out more about what makes you tick and why you believe that the key to making changes in our lives starts and ends with taking action. Mm. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you, Steve. Yeah. Really enjoyed the conversation beforehand, mm-hmm. discussing values mm-hmm. and the things uh, that you've been doing as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And we, I'm sure that's going to pop up throughout this conversation because I feel like it's a very hot mm. topic. Mm. But let's just start here how actually I got introduced to you via Peter. Yep. Now, the two of you met in a very strange location <laughs> in the hospital, <laughs> right? Let, so let, do you want to tell the yeah, story? Let there? me explain. Um I should say when I met Rowan, I uh, thought, now this is a man, a man with spirit. I've got a lot of get up and go. <laughs> but the context in which we met, we were both in a, uh, a surgical ward at Frankston Hospital during uh, the uh, the height of the pandemic with lockdowns and all this sort of thing. So you couldn't get any visitors in there. And I think you'd been in there for something like nine days yeah. or something. And, I'd, and I, we overlapped by about a day. And, um, and then we got talking and you... Um, and I think you'd been denied food for about I nine had. days and you're still on water. So you were pretty uptight about the whole thing. And then we got talking and you said, uh, you, you mentioned that you'd been off to Thailand at one stage and you'd done Vipassana. The, the it came up about me reflecting about how grateful I was to have those two really poor vegetarian meals a day and eventually <laughs> a bread roll in those 10 days of silence. And that's, I think you saw how excited I was to get that fantastic hospital food after being denied food for such an extended period of time. And we ended up talking and realised we had a lot in common. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, um, and I made a couple of suggestions, uh, but you struck me very at that time very much as a, an action man. And uh, I thought we we must uh, connect further, and I think subsequently you've done a number of things. Uh, I've suggested you know on, on your journey, and you've had readings and and this sort of thing. So um, then we thought, well, look, um, uh, let's get you on the show and talk about because when on your show you tend to interview other people. What yeah. we're interested in today's show is more about you as a person and your journey and why you do what you do. So that was the context. Very interesting questions. And I will say that it is very different to be sitting in this particular chair because mm. normally I'm sitting where Steve is sitting and, yes, I'm interviewing a guest of my own. So mm. this is a unique experience and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Well, we're <laughs> going to put you under the microscope. Love Steve, it. what's the, the first little... I put myself under the microscope <laughs> many times, so uh, this is fine. Yeah. Actually... Um, Boxing's played a very big part in your life. Yes. And when we were doing a pre-interview interview, interview, um, you mentioned that. And I really want to sort of unpack that a little bit more. Why boxing? How did you get into boxing? Boxing's a very interesting, it's played a very interesting role throughout my life. It's still a constant and I don't ever see me giving it up considering how much it's actually given me and probably not in ways that people would imagine. So initially when I started out, this might come as a bit of a shock to you, but I was a pretty reckless kid. I was very smart, but I was always in trouble. Spent Mm. most of my time in the principal's office and I was, you know, fighting back against older kids that, you know, didn't like my outspokenness. Mm -hmm. So my dad said, you know what, you need to learn how to defend yourself. And I thought I was pretty handy as it was, but he put me into boxing. And yeah, I was thrown in the deep end. There was no uh, no kids at the gym. There was only adults. And I had to learn the ropes and rise up and overcome adversity and realize, you know what, there's a lot to learn with this. And I was just amazed at the skill that everyone had. And I was very active, loved my sport. And often with team sports, I got frustrated when the team members would give up when we were losing. And when it came to boxing, it was all on me. So Mm -hmm. it was that individuality where it was me 
uh, striving for success and driving forward. In terms of that, uh, I met a lot of interesting people, some positive people, some bad. So it is important just in any industry, there are negative people that can be involved with it. But I was pretty fortunate to have some really good mentors, but also come across some bad ones. But yeah, it was a, a big layer in my life that led me on many journeys. We discussed me going to Thailand. I started coaching when I was 17. I've run domestic violence vic- uh, programs. I've worked with traumatized youth using boxing. I've run event management, I've large shows, boxing shows, everything else. Mm-hmm. It's been a, even a documentary series. So it's exciting. Love boxing. What, what do you think you get out of boxing that you may not get from something else? I guess... You were talking about emotions and boxing is one of those places that you have to regulate your emotions. And it's something that a lot of people are lacking when it comes to performance. In terms of not just what I get, I love the relationships that you develop, people that are getting out of their comfort zone, they're challenging themselves. They're getting in a ring with someone trying to punch them in the face. It's mm. a pretty overwhelming experience for anyone to go through. And I think that everyone should do it at least once in their life. And some of the transformations that I've seen from people doing my eight-week challenge that have gone on to get promoted at work and start businesses because things just don't seem as hard when you're in front of a crowd in the ring. So, yeah, there's a lot of things. It really tests you and you learn who you are as a person when you're faced with a struggle like that where someone else has been training to punch you in the face. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty confronting situation to be in. You, You talk about regulating emotions. Can you describe that a little bit more? Yeah. In terms of boxing? Or yeah, just let's just start off with boxing and then we can... So there's a, there's a big thing, and I think this is often overlooked in combat sports, because the way people perform in the gym when they're sparring is very different to the way they perform in the ring. Because obviously there's all sorts of experiences that happen. People have performance anxiety, they have stress leading up to the fight. You know, they have jitters, they're enthralled by the crowd. You know, they might get intimidated by their opponent. Maybe they get a bad decision or something changes with their opponent. All sorts of things happen. So this mental game is so important. And I think most athletes don't get taught this. And that comes down to any sport. So learning how to regulate your state and managing your emotions through things like breath work, simply down-regulating at any given moment to be able to control and still perform under that pressure is a really learned skill that takes practice. And a lot of people go in and they don't perform the way that they intend to perform. And then they go, all right, I'm going to take some time off. And they might not fight for a year because they've been burnt a little bit and they thought that they looked bad. Mm. They don't realize if they keep getting in and they learn to navigate their way through those negative emotions, just like anything in life, people try to deny them or numb them or avoid them. Mm-hmm. You have to go through them and work through them. And then you learn to perform despite those negative emotions. Well, I can see a lot of... Um, uh similarities with, with just if you talked about life right just challenging his life you know regulating your emotions and just keep going rather than stopping and just saying well like, this is either too hard or maybe I'm not very good at it but through that uh, let's let's go back to taking action is what you're talking about a yeah. lot um, why how has been the boxing you've mentioned the things that boxing has done for you in terms of you know the, you, you mentioned um, the domestic violence that you are you're helping people uh, particularly women I think with boxing to help them with their confidence um, so you've done those kinds of things but how has it helped you personally from where you started as a kid to now I think in terms of person it's a very interesting question so I'll answer it as best as I can it would be to back yourself and be okay with uncomfortable situations, to overcome adversity when you're faced with it and have that discipline to work towards something. Because when you get into the ring, yeah, you've got your coach, you might have your crowd and everyone backing you, but it's just you. 
and you have to manage the loss. And there's been plenty of fights that I've lost, even fights that I thought I should have won. Mm-hmm. And that pressure to be able to come back and go again, and you get that resilience to be able to continue moving forward. Plus, no one can do the training for you. It's only you. You mm-hmm. can't pay someone to do the training for you. You have to do it. Mm-hmm. And you get better and you get better as you go. And you keep getting bigger challenges and it never ends. I'm still learning more now and I've been a coach for 19 years mm-hmm. and I've been in the boxing industry for probably 25, I think now. Mm-hmm. It's a long time. And I actually had someone come in that I trained 15 years ago to spar with some of the guys that I'm training now and to show the distinct differences between my coaching style back then compared to now and how it continues to evolve. And I don't know where it's going to end up in the future. But that adaptability, adopting Mm -hmm. learning styles, building rapport, because every person that came through the door, for me, particularly in a coaching sense, you have to learn to package it for the audience. Mm -hmm. So with my Almost Boxing Legends Challenge, for example, which is where I train 30 people up over eight weeks and they step into the ring, everyone's different. Some people are visual learners. Some people are kinesthetic learners. They're all different learners. And it's just me having to get them all ready to step into the ring within eight weeks, which means I have to adapt my teaching style. Some people I need to motivate in different ways. Some people are a little bit more empathetic. Some people need a push. And you learn to regulate your state and help them regulate their state. My partner laughed at one of the fight shows where there's all these people going in like a deer in the headlights for their first show. And you're tucking their shorts in their pants. You put their mouth guard in. They're just like, take me, I'm yours, because they're so scared. And they're really vulnerable, but you're there to protect them and lead them through that experience. So I think the coaching and boxing in such an intense area and then applying to things like domestic violence with our most vulnerable people in the community gave me a really versatile uh, set of skills to work with absolutely anyone mm-hmm. and it paid off in every coaching area I've ever worked in. So mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for my experience in boxing. Mm-hmm. How has it helped you as a, as a child? You said, you know, you were, uh, you know, a uh, bit of a troublemaker, a bit of an upstart, getting in trouble. How has boxing helped you deal with those emotions and that behaviour? I think it was a release early on. Um, don't get me wrong, I think a lot of people out there They end up in interesting situations. So I I liked chaos when I was younger and I found myself in a lot of those environments and I sort of use that to work with young people now. I work with young people in prison, kids in resi care, all different kids to sort of guide them in the right direction and explain that, you know, you can be strong and that you can be tough, but you can also be kind, you can be compassionate, a safe person. Mm -hmm. So those skills in terms of learning what was important because I guess I had a bit of a label when I was younger. I was kickboxer Rowan. I was always known as the boxer. And you, you end up in some interesting situations for that. And I'm very thankful for Does them. that draw more negative attention towards you? Do people when want to try younger, and challenge you? When you're younger, certainly. Particularly when I, you're the, I was a young kid that knew how to handle myself and had older friends that didn't know how to handle themselves. And they were picked on by people that were even older than them. Mm-hmm. So I found myself in many situations <laughs> yeah, throughout mm-hmm. my youth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, it was... Uh, yeah, is um, not something I reflect on positively, but I wouldn't change it because it is a part of my story and it gives me a unique ability to relate to other people, to talk about things like breath work, mindfulness, vulnerability, mm. to come from someone who is considered to be a, re- you know, a strong, assertive male mm-hmm. and still be a safe male. Even when I'm working with the young people that are you know, living similar crazy lives when they're younger, they're not going to listen to the average social worker that's coming in with compassion, loving kindness. But I get them meditating. I get them back into school. They listen to me because I'm the boxer guy. And I can speak the language. I understand what they're going through. I know the stress that comes with it and everything else. So it's a very unique lens that I have in life that not everyone understands. Mm. You're uh, referring to this. Um, sorry. sorry. I was going to say the, the youth uh, therapeutic work you got involved in. How did yeah. you get involved in, in that side of things? Well, it sort of stemmed from originally working with domestic violence victims and we started a, a charity, I think we'll probably touch on that first, which was Safe Australia, eventually became the stance with uh, my business partner at the time, William Fagan. 
and we were empowering female survivors of abuse uh, through domestic violence programs, specifically using martial arts and combat sports. The logic behind it was rhythmic repetitive movement lowers arousal baselines in people that have experienced trauma, things like drumming, skipping, etc. So we figured pad work and things like that would have the same effect, and we were right. So we tracked it all with DAS21 tests. We had people coming from the Salvation Army, Anglicare, Nemi, so cars of the works. They had great results. Eventually, we moved on from that, and I started working in a, a therapeutic setting with young people, and uh, one of my the people that took me under his wing, Stefan Friedrichsen, called me the Luca Brasi because he just gave me all the kids that were the, pretty much unreachable. Uh, my first day, I had a kid pull two kitchen knives at me in the kitchen and said he was going to kill me. Mm-hmm. And I just stared at him, and he uh, didn't know what to do. And I said, I'll give you some space. Went and waited downstairs for a bit. I go, I'm not going to leave. So he doesn't think that he made me leave. And I go, he's like, he's still here. I'm going to kill him. When he realized I was still there, I go, I'll see you next week, mate. That I kept work with me about a month. Later, he's like, man, why didn't you run? Like mm. they always run. Everyone runs away. And this poor kid, we went to court and he'd had all these com- uh, charges against him from resi workers who were just scared of him. And he was safe with me. He listened. We talked about all these things. And same with a lot of the kids I developed relationships with. Because for a lot of them, they either viewed really nice people, but they viewed them as weak, Mm -hmm. or they knew very strong, assertive, abusive people, and they didn't know the middle ground. Mm -hmm. So being that safe person that is also an assertive, strong male that still has goals and is direct and, you know, confident, I think is an important balancing act that everyone should be pursuing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Good. Now, Rowan, you became a, a single father. I did. At 27 years of age. Yes. Now, how has this experience... Well, give us a bit of background on all of that and how did how's this experience shaped you? Because you, you spent a lot of time with your daughter and you um, just watched a video the other day of how, how proud you were of uh, some uh, martial arts she was doing. Oh, it's amazing that she's actually pursuing a martial arts journey of her own now. It's uh, mm-hmm. nothing I've ever forced on her. She's tried a few different things, but she never wanted to box. That's her decision. I'd love it if she changes her mind. Mm. Change of parenting is a. It was probably the biggest change in my life, and I think every other change that led up to that point put me in a position to be able to take on that role as a primary carer of a, a one-year-old child. Before that, you know, I was an only child. I pretty much did what I wanted. I lived my life. I pursued goals. I travelled and live overseas. I just start businesses. I very much did what I wanted to do, and then all of a sudden, I had this young person that was dependent on me. And I had to change everything. I had to pretty much stop my business, give up my fire career. There's a photo on my Instagram of me standing on the side of the ring with a baby giving instructions to one of my fighters. And then they told me I couldn't have the baby on the ring. And I had to give her to some stranger in the crowd. And then she was screaming. I'm like, I can't even take my fighters to fights anymore. So I had to change everything about my life uh, and find things that I could still pursue whilst being a parent and giving her all the things that I think she needed. The other thing was I probably struggled with maybe expressing emotions and it's something that's probably come up even more now mm. but I had to acknowledge that if I was going to be her primary carer she needed love and affection she had to have that and it didn't come natural to me to express those things it just never did and why, why was that I don't know um, I guess the topic comes up that particularly for a lot of men they think that vulnerability and emotions are a weakness, a sign of weakness. And it's actually one of the biggest strengths you can ever have. So I'm very grateful that that cultivated it uh, in me with my daughter because I expressed that and it just became who I was. It was a, probably would have been different if I was a typical, you know, separated father that only had my kid every second weekend and was taking them out to, you know, Mm. theme parks or something Mm -hmm. but because I was there for all the sickness I was there for all the milestones I was there for all the sleepless nights I very much played the role that a mother would play but also the same role as a father so I did I was fortunate enough that I did have support as well 
But yeah, as a primary carer, it was a big shift in me, mm-hmm. but a great one. And it definitely got me to this point. What if you, um, how have you looked at your life in terms of what you're going to do? Has it always been something that you've had a clear idea of what you want to do? Or do you tend to find yourself being, seeing signposts and going for them? That's a very, and yet again, another good question. So I'm a firm believer that if I gave you, if I blindfolded you and put a target on the wall and gave you a dart, mm-hmm. you're not going to hit it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to be able to see the target. Now, everyone thinks, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to decide on. It's okay to change your mind. Just pick something. If you were going to go to America, along the way, you would see certain specific sites along your travels that you would notice on the way to that particular destination. Mm -hmm. So if you pick a destination on that path, it'll sort of indicate what you come up against. And then you can decide to take an alternative route. That's fine. You can change your mind. So for me, I've set clear goals and they've all played a role in my life. And it's amazing even now. An example, I've been looking 10 years ago, I did a bullying program in Uh, primary schools with Caroline Dawson using EFT to regulate kids to emotional freedom technique with bullying. Having And I did the certification and everything else has come up again now, 10 years later. All these lessons that I've learned at particular points in my life, they all play a role now. And it's as if I'm connecting all the dots Mm. and putting all the pieces of the puzzle together, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, You're paying attention to what's going on and um, trying to apply it in a different way. Let's just go back to your daughter for a second and the the emotions or, you know, showing the vulnerability and the emotions that you spoke about. How has that, how has that made you a better man? That's a very, another good question. So in terms of becoming a better man. And I'm I'm specifically saying man because we're kind of sort of making reference to, you know, um, the masculinity that you talked about um, and being a strong man and you have that kindness and compassion. So I'm, I'm not signaling out, you know, women out of this question, but just sort of like, just talk about that because we often talk about this on the show about being men and what kind of man you want to be. Well, I actually, uh, I'll give you an example that came up. I think it was yesterday. So it's probably relevant. I was talking to my daughter and we're just talking about life in general and you know, direction she wants to take. She's very much working out who she is as a person now at 10 years old. A lot of big questions from her and her own identity, which is exciting to see. Um, Obviously, you know, parents stress about these things, but I'm pretty confident that she's going to make good decisions. Now, she said something about her future partner, and she said it was important for her to have, you know, a future partner that is tough, but not as tough as me, but they had to be kind like me. And they had to be nice like me. So it was mm-hmm. important. I'm like, this is great. So I said, you know, she is a very strong, assertive girl, very direct. She's very stoic as well. And, you know, she's very kind to animals, other kids, everyone else as well. But she is very, got a lot of masculine traits from growing up around me. Mm-hmm. But it was important to me that she, you know, I didn't want her pursuing strong men in her life because it sometimes it takes maybe people that are perceived as strong men, it takes them a long time to become kind men. Uh, through that process, just from my experience. I knew mm-hmm. a lot of people that I respected for their strength and power, but they weren't necessarily good role models. And that's something that I hope my daughter doesn't pursue. And I think she sort of confirmed that she won't because that kindness and helping people is an important value to her that she brought up. And I'm glad that I've sort of displayed that to her throughout her life. Were you surprised by her response? I wouldn't say surprised. I w- you know, I was concerned because 
a lot of people feel, I know even personally with me, I thought, you know, I'm a boxer, I'm strong, I'm this, I'm that. Whatever my identity as a man was, particularly a young man, and the role models that I had that were assertive people and reflecting on that now, a lot of them I don't really want to be like and I'm glad that I'm not. But they did play a part because they did give me a lot of good qualities in my journey that I use in a positive way now. But a lot of kids out there that think, you know, maybe even girls, boys that are denying the feminine energy, they get drawn to crazy people. Mm-hmm. It, might necessarily, it might not necessarily be the right people and they're not the right role models and that sort of impacts the behaviours and habits and experiences that they go through. So they can make some pretty poor decisions. I was pretty lucky that none of my bad decisions really had too big a negative impact on my life, but I have a lot of friends that weren't so lucky. Some of them are still living those lives now and it's pretty sad to see. Mm. And as every parent, you don't want your kids to make the same mistakes that you do. So just knowing that compassion and empathy and those qualities are important to my daughter makes me know that I did something right. Mm-hmm. When do you feel that you started to change as a person and, and develop that that kindness and compassion that maybe you didn't have before because you were focusing on that very sort of strong, you know, stoic male I think there was many points throughout life. And again, we're talking about even your journey. It's always a work in progress. Mm -hmm. We're always learning and developing. And I don't know where I'm going to be in another year's time. It's, you know, it's very interesting to see. I'm pretty excited. But I think when I was in my early twenties, I thought at one point, what is the polar opposite to me? And I thought a monk. It is the opposite extreme to me as a monk. And I'd never meditated or anything like that. I'd been around, like, my mum was very open-minded with a lot of these things. I was exposed to those things, but they didn't really resonate with my fighter mentality yeah. at, at a young age that, and my identity that I had of being a strong fighter male. And that's how I operated in the world. So then I went to all the temples in Springvale and they had this crazy white guy that was like very hyper aroused, hanging out going, yeah, I'm here to talk to monks. And they're like, oh, can this guy just leave? And I just went from one temple to the next temple. Most couldn't speak English. Finally found one. They gave me a book that was written in Vietnamese and they finally gave me a contact for someone in Thailand. So the next thing I knew, I was flying to Thailand to do 10 day silence in a Buddhist temple. And Mm -hmm. it was one of the most hardest things that I ever did. And I had a lot of regrets from mistakes that I made in the past. Obviously, when you're not talking and you have no idea how to meditate and you have to do it for multiple hours per day, every day, it's a pretty confronting experience. Uh, Particularly, you know, being vulnerable and not being able to distract myself in any way, shape or form. You process every conversation you've ever had and then it's their fault and then it's your fault and it's their fault again. And you go through this roller coaster. So I think it was day seven and I was pretty broken at that point thinking, you know, I don't belong to be here. Everyone was so nice and kind and everything. And it just was opposite to me. I thought like, I said to the, we got to speak to the monk for about 10 minutes on day seven. The only time we got to break the silence. And I'm like, I feel like I don't belong here. His question was, would the person who used to live like that be doing 10 day silence in a Buddhist temple meditating? Mm -hmm. Would they be doing that now? And I'm like, no, he goes, you're not that person anymore. And it was like that liberating experience that I didn't need to be that person anymore. Mm. And then for the next nine months, it was like, who am I? Who do I want to be? I'm in another world. No one knows me. I met two Aussies the whole time. So uh, fighting was still part of my identity there because I was fighting my tie, but I didn't have to hold on to how I was expected to be. It was mm-hmm. a very liberating experience. Since then, there's been many things, even, you know, experiencing where I had a chat with Peter recently about spirituality. It seems like the other layer. I'm very much focused on well-being and it's probably going slightly off topic, but it'll give you a bit of context. When I was younger, everything was bigger, stronger, faster, more powerful, success, performance, drive. Mm. That was just everything was. Very strong action, 
masculine traits. Mm -hmm. And that's what I modeled and that's what I pursued and that's what I was known for. So learning to prioritize well-being and knowing when to rest and be able to have that sustainability and regulating emotions and being emotionally available, all these skills sort of came later. Looking at connection instead of just, you know, fickle relationships. All these things became a priority later in life. And it's still a work in progress. Mm -hmm. so, so now, what, um, what does a successful life mean to you now? How, that how is, would you, you know, for you, what, what's success? I guess it's a very fluid answer. So in terms of success, for me personally, and I love that this has been flipped on me because I always ask other mm. people what their definition mm. of success is. One of the key elements to me, one of my values is freedom to do, not freedom from. And in terms of freedom to do, I want to be able to choose how I spend my time. But there's a few things that come with it. How I choose to spend my time, I want to enjoy it, but it's also important to me that it is not only good for me, but it is good for others and it is good for the greater good. So there's this overlap of purpose and contribution and connection, all these core values. So I sort of use that moral compass whenever I choose to do anything. And I'm very fortunate that if I don't want to do it, if I don't want to work with someone, I just won't do it. I, I like to follow my compass and those decisions. And throughout my life, we're talking about alignment. Mm -hmm. That's always been a key factor. And whenever I follow those instincts, I went to very good places and I could always see the lessons. So now I'm just really in tune with it and everything's just moving so quick. Even in mm. the last couple of months, it's just skyrocketing. It's, a, it's amazing. Just when you embrace that and lean into it, it's an amazing experience. It's interesting. I think you made the observation the other day just that this was probably the, the, the best period of your life in terms of what, what was unfolding and this sense of excitement. But at the age of 35 now, you've just recently learnt that you're going to have to have um, a double hip replacement. Yeah. So, and so <laughs> how's this altered your outlook on life um, and, and your plans? Because a lot of people, you know, you're only 35. Yeah. And even people that are much older that have got this situation. Would, um, would throw their hands up in despair and give up. For you, it's just been the opposite. It's acted as a catalyst to really get on and uh, do things, do a lot, but do it differently to what you've done previously. Well, I guess it's not what happens to you, it's how you respond to it and what you make, Abs uh, what you make it mean in yep. anything in life. So I'm not very good at staying in the victim mentality because I don't think it's really empowering for anyone. So for me... I was doing an experiment on nasal breathing and I decided, you know what, I'm going to enter a marathon and I'm going to have minimal prep for it and, you know, went out and ran 4Ks, purely nasal breathing as an experiment because I, I don't get any of my clients to do anything that I don't try. So we were testing it out. And then I think I did, the next week I did 5Ks and 5Ks again, hips started playing up, then ran through probably a K, it started hurting and then finished the other 4Ks because obviously I couldn't do less than what I did the week before because of that striving for success again. Mm. Planned to do six, but said I'd stop at five and then literally couldn't walk. And, you know, I went to the doctors, I did x-rays. I go, yeah, you've got a bit of arthritis. I'm like, okay. And they go, you'll be fine. Take some anti-inflammatories. I'm like, all right. Then I saw a myo and they go, yeah, it's your hip flex. I'm like, okay. And then they go, we did the ultrasound. That's fine. I'm like, I'm really not okay. And this mm. happened back in mm. October. Mm. Finally, they did a scan in February and they're like, your hip is collapsing. And then they said, um, they go, you're at risk of fracturing. And I'm like, they go, a normal person wouldn't be walking. And they didn't take me seriously, even the specialist, because I walked in, you know, like, in pain, but, you know, life keeps going on and mm -hmm. I have things to do. I have a family that I need to provide for. I have goals and, you know, clients and everything else. So I have to keep being productive. But there was a point where my pain was so bad in my right hip that I tore my hamstring in my left leg because I was favoring that leg so much. So I couldn't use either legs. And then the specialist finally called me back. They're like, you need emergency surgery. 
And I'm like, right. And they go, we have to check your other hip. And they call me back and the other one's already fractured. <laughs> and like a normal person should not be walking. I, I turn up and like, go get some crutches. Mm. So, you know, I use crutches for a bit, but they make me really slow. So it's, well, <laughs> it's interesting today. I was, I was shocked to see when you turned up here at the studio and yeah. you didn't have your crutches. And... Uh, <laughs> and you'd done, what is it, 10 talks or something? 12 like, talks in four weeks. And yeah, one and, of the leadership we, gigs I did, <laughs> I think a week ago, uh, for Nada Wadding Swim Club, leadership for their staff, which were all great leaders, so I was very uh, happy to be a part of that and help make them be better at what mm. they do. It was more about them than me. But one of the people that hired me said, I was just amazed at how you stood there for two hours with such great posture and mm. you know so confident commanded the room for the whole time. Like mm. It was great to see. I'm like, thank you very much. Would you believe that I need a double hip replacement? I'm actually in a lot of pain. <laughs> and uh, she was actually <laughs> blown away by that. But, you know, life keeps turning. Obviously, there's things that I can't do. And I think I discussed with you, Peter, when we caught up, there was a point where I couldn't sit in a chair. Obviously, I couldn't exercise. Mm. And that's been one of my you know, key elements for mental and physical health and such a key part of my identity throughout my life. And I couldn't do any of it. Mm. I couldn't even sit in a chair and meditate because the pain was that bad in my leg that I could not concentrate. So there was a point that was very dark for me where you know, I had to drag myself out of it. I've had the occasional pity party, but it doesn't last long. Mm. And we were talking about negative emotions. I have a perfectly good reason to feel a little bit sad and I'm not going to consider that a disorder because there's a reason and I allow myself to feel that hold space for myself and you know what now I'm sharing it a bit when relevant I don't have a woe is me because that's mm. not going to help me in any mm. way shape mm. or form but if it comes up that I'm not feeling the best I'll voice that but I get on with it so in terms of living my best life it's amazing how happy I am and the definition of happiness so when I was younger and I think a lot of men women everyone pursue this a 10 out of 10 experience for them would be excitement and, you know, adrenaline rush. And they seek all these crazy things while people look for crazy situations and drugs and alcohol and all these things they end up in because they're looking for those thrills. That would be a 10 out of 10. And then zero obviously would be misery, depression, etc. Mm. And a five would be pretty standard. For me now, a 10 really isn't that. A 10 is feeling confident, feeling calm, feeling stable, feeling those moments of clarity. That is my 10 out of 10, and I feel great. And I like sitting down for a journal each day. I'm always getting at least eights every day. And then mm. I start questioning, why an eight? Like, why not a nine or a 10? Mm. What is a nine or a 10 to me? Mm. Like, thinking about it, like, you know what? Today probably is a nine. Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to say a 10 yet because I'm sure there's more out there because, you know, I have a high expectation of myself in life, more of myself than life. But, you know, figuring out how I rank experiences and what I'm actually looking for. And my life is so good. My relationships, mm. my career, everything is in alignment. Yeah, I have this surgery. Yes, I'm in pain, but everything else is going so well. I feel so connected with everything. And it's a unique experience to be in because everyone's like, wow, you know, you've got this horrific surgery and you're in this pain. I'm like, but I feel great. <laughs> like it's a, whereas other times I was physically capable and probably at the top of my physical performance, but I didn't feel like that. Mm. I didn't have that calm and clarity and sense of purpose. And I didn't have those you know, warm connections and all these other things They were lacking, mm -hmm. but I was dominating in physical uh, elements, you know, peak my game. And I've talked to a lot of people like, you know, I'm past my peak in terms of physical performance. I'm like, that's a very limiting belief that you're you know, putting on yourself. And who are you when you aren't physically fit? Like yeah. it's, a, it's an element of your life. Yeah, it's one aspect. And, exactly. And what you're coming to the recognition of, there's the interrelationship of all these different aspects. And whilst one may be down, 
the others have come to the fore and you're feeling so much better as a consequence. A hundred percent. And it's made me pursue other areas, but also what's the definition of a high performance life or I'd really frame an optimal performance life. It's looking at all those key areas of life, like relationships, well-being, mental health, uh, purpose and things. As spirituality. A spirituality is the mm-hmm. layer that I've been uh, exploring with you, which yeah. has been great. Yeah. yeah. Great. Look, um, we might have a little break and uh, then come back and continue the conversation. But one of the things we like to do, as you know, Rowan, is to uh, play a bit of music as a mm. bit of an insight into our guest. And in your case, you've nominated a couple of songs and the first one was The Final Countdown. Now, yes. do you want to explain why you chose this and what it means to you and, and your daughter, by the sound? I would love to. <laughs> so this is a really good thing because after that reading that you recommended that I get when I was exploring yeah. spirituality, one of the things that came up, we'll talk about emotional expression and you know, feeling things and, you know, noticing, you know, obviously being present, which has been a big factor of mindfulness throughout my life. But what music do I like? Mm. And I really couldn't name any, despite, you know, having a lot of music throughout my life and a lot of genres, a lot of stages. So you asked me to come up with it. I'm like, all right, this is a sign. Perfect. Thank you for that. Now, the final countdown to me was always a fun song. You know, it was one of those songs that would just come on when you're out and about when you're a young Mm. person. And I have no idea how it popped up in my family, but we have a bit of a running joke where if me or my daughter will go, or my partner, one of us will go, da-na-na-na. The other one has to go, da-na-na-na-na. And like everyone will sort of just go throughout the house. It's this thing. And I've made yeah. the joke that one day my daughter's going to be getting an award or a trophy <laughs> or something and I'm going to be in the crowd. And I'm like, da-na-na-na. And she's going to have to come back with it. But if anyone like, yeah. it just happens when we're cooking, just anywhere in the house, someone will have to respond. We've even joked that any future kids will probably, their first words will be da-na-na-na. So <laughs> it is an important song to me for those reasons. A sense of upliftment. It is. Family it's a fun, fun thing with yeah, family. Yeah, family fun. Good. Let's hear it. Hey, everybody. This is Art Alexakis from the band Everclear, and it's good to be talking to you here at Radio Carom. Hey, and welcome back. You're listening to Men With Spirit on Radio Carom with me, Steve Angel, and my co-host, Peter Anthony. And today, our guest is fellow Radio Carom presenter, Rowan Parent, and we're discussing taking action in life using Rowan's story as a case study in self-development and just getting stuff done. Um, before we resume the conversation, Peter, you had a, a quote that you wanted to share from the Wisdom of Crazy Horse blog, as we often refer to. What's this one about? Okay, I, d- I thought this one was particularly uh, relevant, um, and Rowan made uh, mention of you know, different crossroads in his life. And this, this quote's on the crossroads in life. And what he says is this, when we come to a crossroad in life, we usually think, that we will have the option to go forward in one of two ways, only having to decide which way is best. The reality is that a crossroad is an opportunity to go ahead in one of two ways or backwards in one of two ways, the way you came or another way. In this way, crossroads in life are a great challenge and test. The greater the opportunity you are about to be presented with for growth in your life will always be equaled by great temptation to take an easier option and not progress. The way you meet this test in life changing either for better the sorry the way you meet this test in life no, sorry. The, the way you meet this test is life-changing, either for the better or the worse. Unquote. <laughs> Got it eventually. You did. You did. <laughs> Rowan, 
Do you have any thoughts about that quote? Yeah, it's interesting. It makes me think about expectations that we have of ourselves. And I like the part where they're talking about better or worse. And what's your definition of worse? Because it's just an option and it really is how you frame it. Because there's been plenty of situations in my life that would have been perceived as really good looking from the outside in, but they weren't so great for me. And other situations that probably didn't look the best from the outside in, but they were amazing opportunities. So I guess it's how you frame it. And, you know, there's pros and cons to absolutely every choice that you ever make, including staying exactly where you are right now. And it's just weighing up all those pieces of information and making the best choice. But I think it's a valuable quote Mm -hmm. and raises some interesting discussions. Is it always just a, I mean, in reflection, you go, that wasn't a great decision to make, but not everyone will, like you said, reframe it. Mm. They'll say, oh, that decision set me down this path. And then, oh, woe is me because of this decision being made rather than say, I learned something from that. So, and I know that this is something that you refer to a lot about life is an experiment. Yeah. It makes it all so much more fun. So- a big thing, and even me as a recovering perfectionist, I always thought, you know, you had to be perfect in these things. I had a really, really high standard of probably an impossible standard to meet. It could always be better, even when I did really well. And if you don't meet that standard, people get stuck. They stop. They get trapped. And they view it as a failure. And they think, I am a bad person. Or I'm just not good at what I do. And they don't have the confidence to try again. When you view life as an experiment and you're going out there testing theories, you're gathering data, you're figuring out new boundaries, you're learning about yourself and you give yourself permission to learn and grow and adapt and suck at the start because no one starts off a white belt. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sorry, no one starts off a black belt. Everyone starts off a white belt. You can be really talented, but you're still a white belt. Mm -hmm. So you have to progress through life. And when I started giving myself permission to learn as I go, instead of philosophizing and trying to get the perfect way. Because if you wait three years to make a decision, you're still going to find ways to improve on it when you go to, when you finally do it, no matter how much planning you've ever done. There's always going to be ways to get better. So the sooner you start that, the sooner you start improving. And in a short period of time, you get good very quick. Mm-hmm. And it just takes that pressure off. Instead of this needs to be the best, this is I'm going to get better. I'm going to give it a go and I might suck and that's okay. And people might not like it and that's okay. That's entirely up to them. It's just allowing yourself to go through that process. And it's one of the most liberating things I ever did. As you, did you have something to say, Peter? For, go on. So in your work that you do now, a lot of the coaching work, how do you teach that philosophy to somebody who's hesitant right now to go, okay, I just want to get it right before I get started? Yeah, well, a quote that I always heard was, someone out there is living your dream life all because they took action. That is not, oh, sorry, I butchered it. Somewhere out there that is not as qualified or as experienced as you is living your dream life or because they took action. So you can pretty much start when you're 70% ready. And everything in my life, I give examples. I actually mentor a few young people, up and coming entrepreneurs, and we talk a lot about this. It's a very rewarding work. Obviously, it's their journey, and I tell them it's their decisions to make. I leave a lot of it in their hands, but I give them examples from my journey. But looking at things like Almost Boxing Legends, when I first had that fight show, I'd never run an event before. I just had this idea. I couldn't open a gym because I was a full-time single parent and I didn't have the capacity to do these things, but I wanted to look at boxing and I wanted to have an impact and I thought, what could I do? So I planned out this event uh, that was going to be an eight-week challenge and I mapped it out, no experience of anything, and then all of a sudden started doing it. And everyone's like, that won't work. Everyone came to me with problems. I'm like, come to me with solutions. And I was problem-solved everything, figured it out when I went. Uh, along the way. It started off in a basketball stadium for the first one, eventually grew into using a nightclub and being an amazing show. But 
I was looking at 40K worth of debt two weeks out. I'm like, is this going to work? My plan worked because I planned it out. And I made mistakes and every show got better. It mm-hmm. just continued to improve. But if I waited till I was ready, it never would have happened. The stars aren't magically going to align. You're never going to get this sign. No one's going to wave a magic wand. There's always going to be a reason not to do the thing you want to do. You think, oh, you know, when I finish this period of work or when the kids are old or when this happens, it's never going to happen. You just start and then you get better. So it's going to taking action. Is, is 100%. Absolutely. And yeah, at the beginning initially to get the, the wheels turning because, you know, Newton's law of motion. You know, the mm-hmm. object in motion will continue in motion. You can just keep going. Yep. You've got to get started. How would you describe the work you do now? Very, it's, it's a, there's a lot of overlap between my clients and it's becoming clearer and clearer to me now. So you, I think you refer to me as a health and well-being specialist. I still struggle to know what to identify myself as mm. in a professional capacity because at the end of the day, I help people or humans with human problems and human goals and human needs. And there's a lot of overlap. So if I'm working with a, an athlete that has performance anxiety and one of their most vulnerable people like domestic violence victims or traumatised youth, they have similar needs. We have things like connection, purpose. They need better sleep. They need to be eating a diet that's good for them. They need to be having some sort of movement. There's all these key things. But I work with people, big focus on linking performance and well-being together because that was something that I overlooked when I was younger. Mental health being a priority is very something uh, that's very close to me. It's affected a lot of people, even me personally. So, yeah, looking at what people need on a general population standard, but also the individuality that comes with each person, packaging it for that person. So I might get six people to meditate, but the way that I explain it to them and package it for the audience is completely different. If I'm working with year nine boys at a high school, I'm trying to teach them to meditate that have no interest at the start compared to working with someone in the office that's uh, working long hours and really struggling with their relationships and managing emotions or someone else completely. It's all different, but it's the same tools. Mm. Yeah, so it's just, I love my... One of my greatest assets, I believe, is behavioural flexibility and also being able to package the information for the audience, for whoever I'm talking to. So how do you describe yourself? Me, personally, mm. or professionally? Well, prof- professionally. How would you describe the work you do? The work that I do, I guess it lies in transformation. I help people. I ask the question, what would your life look like and what would you be capable of if you're operating at your absolute best, whatever that looks like to you? Okay. So that's what I help people do. What, what motivates you? Why do you do this? I guess I've been probably on a personal development journey in some capacity for the majority of my life. And all the signs throughout my life, it just shows me that I'm meant to be in this space. Even meeting you in the hospital and then us having Mm. conversations Mm. and me attending Men With Spirit, they're all pieces of the puzzle. I've been very lucky to have so many great people at what they do, even in my podcast, so many experts. And I feel like learning from them, I love it. It's not work to me. It's just my passion anyway. Obviously, I get positive benefits. I love sharing information with people, that contribution aspect. I like speaking. I like engaging with people. And I feel like it's a bit of a problem-solving thing because there's there's a duality in life. So there's light and there's dark, and then there's need for empathy and there's a need for strength and there's need for, you know, all these things are all relevant. And some people lie in one particular area and they get tunnel vision in that particular area and they deny the fact that there is some purpose with the other area. I feel like I'm putting all the pieces of the puzzle together and helping people uncover what's important to them. And it's just exciting. It's just a fun thing to do. And I love working with people because they're all so different, Mm. but also similar at the same time. So every day is different. And everything that I take up, there's no niche that I do. I just take any opportunity. I just work with people. So yeah, I'm just loving it. 
So spirituality is something you said you want to, you're paying more attention to these days, and you get and you, you had a, a reading uh, from a medium. And how how do you find spirituality as, as part of this puzzle? It is definitely a piece of the puzzle, and it's something that I've sort of danced with. I always believed in a in a higher purpose and a higher power and collective consciousness and things like that. And I've always had signs throughout my life, and I refer to it as the algorithm. So anyone out there that's on social media, you start talking about bears in the woods, you'll get all these videos in your news feed of bears in the woods. <laughs> so the good old reticular activating system, filtering information and looking at alignment and, you know, connection with the universe and you actually refer to this as working with your guide and the signs that your guide will give you along the way so that's Mm -hmm. a it's another piece of the puzzle and it's something that i've always known about and i've always had that intuition guiding Mm -hmm. me along the way and it's led me to some very interesting experiences but it's something that i feel now i need to be looking at more Mm -hmm. and i think even since our conversation, I was already listening to the science mm-hmm. and then I caught up with you and then, you know, I actually reached out to you and said, look, you're the right person, man with spirit. Let's catch up and have a chat about this because mm-hmm. I know this is something mm-hmm. you're particularly focused on. And everything's just been going so quick. Mm-hmm. Like just everything. It's just like every decision is in alignment, every positive thing. I literally think something and it happens. My daughter came in the other day and she told me she wanted to go to, oh, where was it? Somewhere in America where there's these glass stones. I forgot what part of America uh, it is. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I forgot okay. what state it is, but she wanted to go there. And I said, "That's yeah, we'll plan to go there. At some point we'll go there because I would love to get the pep." We talked about what pebbles we will get. Before she left the room, a friend of mine in America messaged me and said, check out this um, alligator from that particular state on Instagram before she even left the room. Like literally, and then she's like, my daughter didn't even flinch. She's like, you just manifest everything. It's just the way it is. I'm like, that wasn't me, that was you. She's like, no, you spoke about it, so it happened. But those synchronicities just happen. Yeah. Even yeah. this wellbeing project, I'm like, I'm going to work in wellbeing. Next thing you know, I had the opportunity. Like, I'm going to do a keynote speaking. Next thing I had one. And the floodgates just open up. Yeah. Literally putting that intention out there. Well, what, what we're told is, uh, what, and certainly what we believe is, if you're on, on path and you're on purpose, things will fall into place. Yeah. And uh, there'll be constant reinforcement. Well, I'm definitely getting that now. It's like a whole new level. But I've I've had many stages like that throughout my life. And I think if you have an intention or direction, things sort of work in your favour most of the time. But most people go through life just in the hamster wheel. They don't set any goals because they don't think that they can meet them. They're too scared to share them with the world. They're too scared to embrace the suck and pursue them. And when you start making those decisions, if you were going to go to – Let's say if you're going to buy a yellow car, this is an analogy that most people know, you would notice yellow cars everywhere. We'd be on the road, but I wouldn't notice them. It's the same cars on the road, but for you, you would notice them. So when you give yourself something to focus on, everything starts coming. The opportunities, your the things that you see are all aligned with that thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And spirituality seems to be a really interesting part because I always thought, you know, is it me manifesting? Where does it come from? But thinking about guides and that interconnectedness and, um, you know, the higher purpose and everything else, it adds a whole different layer and also gives that that sense of comfort that it's more than just you. And you mentioned about that you're not alone, that you have someone guiding you along the way. For some people, that's religion. And, you know, there is a time and a place for religion, but personally, I'm more spiritual mm. than religious. But I see the benefits to it because mm. there is some similarities. Yeah, and we're certainly finding there's a lot of people that – these days would describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. Yeah, I would do the same about me, definitely. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're running out of time, uh, un- unfortunately. Um, do we have enough time to ask one more question? Yeah, yeah go Fire, for it. Man. 
There's a question that I'm, I'm, you mentioned it earlier in the first half, um, and it was a conversation I had with a friend of mine who's in the, uh, Scott Carson, Mm. who Mm. we've had on the show before. Um, And he works with uh, men too and has an organization. We were talking about vulnerability, Mm. uh, the word vulnerability, and the importance of vulnerability, but how even to this day with everything that everyone is talking about and the importance of vulnerability, how the word still resonates with most men as weakness. Yep. Despite the importance of it. What's your thoughts on this before we wrap up? How would you I'll try and keep it brief because we are running out of time. But in terms of vulnerability, even me personally, I did view it as a weakness. But I think in many cases it can be for many people if you change the definition. Now, personally for me, being vulnerable is putting yourself out there, sharing your thoughts, expressing your feelings, actually taking a risk, pursuing your goals, exposing yourself to scrutiny and criticism and judgment. That is vulnerability because you're being authentic. You're actually putting yourself out there and you're actually setting yourself to be exposed and be seen. That is being vulnerable. I don't view being vulnerable as just having a woe is me pity party and living in that sense of weakness because that's not very empowering in any way, shape or form. I think it's important to hold space for yourself to experience negative emotions, but you have to get out of them. You have to do the work. You can't identify as a victim. You can't be at effect all the time. But being a stone cold killer all the time and having negative relationships with your family, your partner and all these other people not and denying your emotions as a human being because you know, negative emotions are a part of the deal. We have to go through them. It's important to express that and show other people that that's okay and hold space for people because we're losing men all the time mm. because they have that mask on and the mask gets heavy mm-hmm. because they, they might have everyone else fooled, but it's affecting everything. They're snapping at their partner. They've got all these issues, health concerns, the works. So vulnerability to me is actually expressing yourself and being who you are and a whole person. Mm-hmm. Good. Rowan, um, if people want to contact you yep. uh, and want to follow up, based on the conversation today, well, firstly, they can listen to the show. Yes. Thursdays at uh, Thursdays at 5 p.m.? Yes, that's correct. Um, okay. And if they want to contact you, what's the best way? It's so, your website, Rowan Yeah, there's Perant. a website oh. which is being in the works at the moment, Rowan Perant, so R-O-H-A-N-P-A-R-R-A-N-T.com. Mm-hmm. Also on social media, there's either Rowan Perant through Instagram, TikTok, or Rowan Perant Method. There's many ways, but I've got a few things that are coming up, a few speaking gigs, a few online programs working with similar topics that we're talking about at the moment. But yeah, feel free okay. to contact me online. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, that's been a fascinating conversation. Really appreciate having you on. It's nice to have you on the uh, on the show. Um, just wrapping things up before we come up with your final piece of music. Mm. Um, do you want to say anything in conclusion, Steve, before I just have a few little announcements? No, I make your announcements. I've enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, it's been great. Mm. Thank you. Um, okay, information and links about our shows are available from the Radio Karam website, which is radiocarum.org, or via our Facebook page. Um, our shows are available on all major podcast platforms within a day or so of broadcasting. Uh, if you want to attend any of our Men With Spirit gatherings, event details, including how to register, are also on our Men With Spirit uh, Facebook page, which is at Men With Spirit. Uh, locally, we meet in Frankston usually every Monday evening, and we're committed to helping men to grow. Uh, so reach out and see if we have a place for you or a man in your life that you care about. You can also email us at connect at menwithspirit.com.au. And thank you to all the Radio Karam sponsors. 
And uh, one other quick thing is uh, Marguerite Poole, who we had on uh, last show, uh, has got a three-part course offer, uh, on uh, parenting. It starts on Tuesday the 6th, so if you're interested, go to her website, which is uh, holisticalignment.com.au or via Facebook. Now, Rowan, you've chosen uh, as your last song a song called Last Resort by Pepper Roach. Do you want to explain what the song means to you and uh, why you've chosen it? I guess it's a song that lights me up and my taste in music has changed a lot throughout my life. And the song does pop up occasionally when I'm out and about, but it was actually a song that got chosen when I was probably, I think, my fourth fight in Bangkok, Thailand. But it popped up a lot when I'm in my younger days. It was just an exciting, upbeat song. Like, yeah, mm. it was very extreme. And um, again, it's another piece of the puzzle, if you like, because I think there is time and a place for that variety and excitement and enthusiasm, and this lights me up. But it's not necessarily how I live my life, but it's, uh, yeah. It's an interesting choice. It's nearly, uh, on Spotify, it's been downloaded nearly a billion, that's with a B, a billion times, which quite amazed me. Um, Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, the Spotify playlist for today's show, episode 30, uh, 44, will be on our Facebook post. Uh, until next time, be true to yourself and see you then. Hello, my name is Océane. I come from Martinia and you are listening to Radio Carom. <laughs>